0: This past week, I was uh, a part of a community issues meeting that took place uh, at the Community Foundation downtown. In fact, they organized it. They wanted to have something that would bring people together from different parts of uh, of the community, some social services and, and others not, but to sit down and just talk about community issues, and the uh, talk that we would have about these particular issues would be, uh, really be instigated by things that uh, the, the keynote speaker would say. Uh, the topic of the meeting was uh, the magic of potential or, or something like that. And as I arrived and uh, heard a little bit about the speaker, I thought, okay, now this makes a little more sense. This is going to be interesting. Uh, it was Barry Richardson, who was a um, longtime business professor at Centenary College. And uh, he also was sharing, not only has he had extensive time in the classroom, and served in in other levels of academia in in other colleges. Uh, But he was also, and I think this is what he was most proud of uh, after he retired especially, uh, that he is a magician. And as he described what he did, he really described himself as a magician's magician. He likes performing. He doesn't like to be in front of big crowds, but he does like performing. But even more than that, he likes to write the magic tricks that people would do, and I never really thought about that, but somebody is thinking through all of these different uh, tricks and how to do them and uh, the supplies that are needed and uh, I mean these would be big ones and he talked about how many of them he had published and so as he continued to talk about this and during the the whole time that we met, it was all day, I think Thursday. Um, he would weave in and out of the discussion about community issues these magic tricks. And he would involve us in them. And I I always hate being called on, just like you hate it when I call on you. And uh, I did get called up. I think I was trying to put a straw through a potato or something. I just made a big mess of it. But uh, he had different people doing different things. And, And these were, they looked like simple card games or card tricks uh, there was one where he had a glass, and there was a, a piece of plastic over the top of it, and uh, he made a, a dime appear in the glass. Uh, somebody was trying to push it in there, and uh, just some really simple things, but things that just made you wonder, how in the world did he do that? And you would hear people say, there's no way. There's no way to do that, and yet he would do it. He was making the point that nothing is impossible. Nothing. And so we were talking, we had one set, one table over here talking about third grade reading and how big a problem that is, the lack of third graders who can read in our community. What can we do about that? So it was an educational issue. And then the next table de- dealt with uh, work development and workplace development. And so you had people over there from different specialties. The uh, chancellor of uh, Bipsy was over there and several others, and they were talking about that issue in the breakout session. And then uh, in the middle of the room, probably the biggest table was homelessness. And that's the table where I was. And we had different people uh, around that issue as well. And a few others that that were there. But as we were talking about these huge issues, like how can we get more third graders to read so that they can keep on going in school and be able to uh, at least have a chance. And as we talked about how can we come up with a system for homelessness in our community where everyone buys into it, where everyone is working together to make sure that... And one of the goals we talked about was that we would end homelessness in Shreveport. Now, that just sounds impossible, doesn't it? There's no way you could end homelessness. And yet we were reminded nothing is impossible. I think that's what Jesus was showing the disciples and Martha and Mary and others that day as he was called to go to bring Lazarus from from his tomb. And as we heard the text, and, and that's a long text, as we get closer to Easter, these get longer and longer. So probably at some point you will be called upon to come and to help read these long passages. But one of the things that Jesus says really stuck out to me as I was just kind of reading this passage over this past week. And I've preached on this, I don't know how many different times, and, and there's so many different places where you can go a little bit deeper in, in this Gospel of John, especially in this passage. I could talk about Lazarus and talk about the second chance that he had. I could talk about uh, Martha and Mary and maybe their attitudes or maybe uh, the way that this was a kind of an epiphany for them. Uh, could talk about Jesus and the fact that he wept. You know, that's the the best verse, if you're ever going to memorize it in Scripture, is uh, Jesus wept, or Jesus was disturbed. But one of the things that stood out to me the most, that I want to bring to your attention today, is this phrase. And as Kyle read it, I, I thought about it even a little bit more because of the way that he read it. Take away the stone. That's what Jesus says to them. It says that they they were coming up around the tomb and Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, you know, already he's been in there four days. If you had been here earlier, then this wouldn't be a problem. He wouldn't be dead. That, That was how she was feeling and what she was saying. Jesus says, take away the stone. He is involving the community in helping bring Lazarus back from death and to life. He is calling on them to partner with him. And if you remember last week, as we looked at Jesus and the blind man, and if you look back and even before that, the week before, Jesus and the woman at the, at the well, the Samaritan woman, both of those accounts involve participation. Whoever Jesus is healing or touching or bringing back from the dead, he is doing so on the basis of participation. Here, he involves the community. I mean, sure, Jesus could have said just what he said. Lazarus, come forth, come out of there, rise again. But he involved the people around him. So I think that is what God calls us to do. I was thinking about our church as I mold those words over. That we are the kind of church, at least that has as a mission, that we are here to participate with what God is doing in the community of helping people come out of uh, situations that are, uh, I guess, that stink, Uh, like Martha and Mary were saying, you know, they've been in there too long. And no one else is thinking in terms of possibility. They're just thinking of impossibility. And we are the kind of church that has said to the last almost four years, um, nothing is impossible. That we can do it through God's grace and direction. And that is what we are continued to, to call to be here as a church. So how do we do that? How is it we do it as a, a corporate body, as a church in this community? And then how can we continue to do it as individuals? Well, I think the first thing and the first part of, of this really comes in the, the emotions of Jesus that are here. This is that Jesus wept. Part of the story and if you look throughout the gospel I know it's a lot there on your page uh, but you'll see that that Jesus was troubled that he was struggling with what was going on Uh, she says Lord if you had been there my brother would not have died but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him and so Jesus says your brother will rise again and she says well I I know that he will rise again on the last day Jesus says I am the resurrection and the life. And as you look through here, you will see that Jesus is, is troubled. His soul is deeply troubled. And some people will say, well, that's because of the lack of belief. I don't think that would be the case. I think he understands the situation of belief, and it wouldn't be just normal for them to think of this. I think he is deeply troubled about death. Death. I think he's deeply troubled about separation. He's deeply troubled about the sinful condition of the world. He's deeply troubled that anyone dies. And so he begins to get to work here. I think he's probably also thinking about all of the religious People around him, the legalists, and the people who've been causing problems, as he's been going from community to community, freeing people from not only sicknesses and uh, poverty, or you know all the different things that were around him. He is freeing them from religion, freeing them from the things that come in and bind them. And it's as if, as we've heard the expression, putting God in a box. They were carrying around God. In this nice, neat little box. And if you talked about God in a way that didn't fit in with what was in their box, you were in trouble. Jesus was doing that. Last week we looked at how Jesus healed the blind man on the Sabbath day. And they got all messed up and mad at him. And Jesus reminded them there were more important things than, you know, keeping the letter of the law. Or even... Uh, allowing the law to dominate what God wanted to do in the world. And so we see here again, Jesus is doing something that is getting outside of the box. He's greatly disturbed. As you think about the situations in your life, as you think about other people around you, as you think about the world, as you look into this community, or as you look at the place where you work and the people that are in your relationships, are you ever greatly troubled? Do you weep over the things that you see happening around you? I think the whole nation was greatly disturbed about the things that took place at, at Fort Hood this past week. Or we could talk about the earthquake and earthquakes in Chile. Uh, we could talk about the mudslide in um, in Oregon. I mean, the list goes on and on. The people who are in utter agony, and that's not even a good way to describe the uh, the emotions that people are feeling as they're waiting to hear whatever happened to their loved one on the Malaysian plane. But there are all kinds of things that you know about in your life and in your situation and in the people's lives around you, maybe even in this room. And are you greatly troubled? Would you ever weep over the sins in this community, the injustice in the community. I heard recently, I didn't do a fact check, but there are more people incarcerated in Louisiana than anywhere else in the world. So, why is that? And do we even care? Are we bothered by it? Are we bothered by the murder rate? Are we bothered by the fact that uh, 30,000 children in Shreveport-Bosier live in poverty? Are we bothered that uh, there are, uh, at least above the age of 25, 16% who don't have a high school diploma? Are we bothered that there are 12th graders who still don't know how to read? Well, if we're really bothered by it, then we become like Jesus, and we begin to think like Jesus, and we begin to take on those issues and those uh, problems in our own lives, and and we seek to do what Jesus was doing, but I think the other thing that's going on here is this recognition that Jesus can do something about it, right? Right? Isn't he getting, uh, Jesus is starting to do some things where he's opening the eyes of the people so that they could see more and more that he is the light of the world. And as John likes to continue to classify here, you know, these sayings of Jesus, the I am's of Jesus. I am the living water is what he told the woman at the well. I am the light of the world to the blind man. And here, Martha, Mary, I am the resurrection. This was to their comment, well, Lord, we know that that's going to happen. We, we know that he's going to rise again on that day. And Jesus says, no, you don't get it. You don't have to wait until then. And he doesn't have to wait until then. There is such a thing as resurrection that could be right here in your midst. And Jesus was bringing that to them. It's not just about physical death. It's about spiritual death and spiritual resurrection as well as physically And so they recognize that Jesus is this life giver. That he is making a difference in their lives. And we can see as we continue in the Gospels that he continues to do that. And they will see it in his own resurrection. So do you see Jesus as the life giver today? I mean as you think about death and life and you think about all of the the uh, problems that we have here in our world today are we looking to this person of Christ the things that he did the things that he said the way that he loved the way that he lived in this world are we looking to that as a source or a resource for us No one said that at the meeting I was at the other day, and I didn't expect them to, and they didn't expect me to say that. We were talking on some practical levels of different things, but I kept thinking about Jesus, and I kept thinking about the church, and what the church is called to do, and really, who I was representing as I was there at that meeting. Where does the church come into this? How do we connect people into this resource of Jesus Christ? Will you think about that in your own life. How has Jesus been your life giver? We've heard different testimonies, different things that were said here today. And on other Sundays, you, you hear testimonies of how Jesus was very real to someone in this past week. But how has that been this past week for you? And that's always the question. How has Jesus given you life? Maybe it was getting peace in the midst of grief like this. That's something that that I am aware of when all else is crumbling and falling down on you and you find that there is a peace that is underneath all of that that you can't explain. You don't know where it comes from all of a sudden until you begin to think. It is that peace of Christ that passes all understanding and comprehension. Maybe it was then. Maybe it was in a relationship Where you were seeking out some solution. You couldn't find one at all. Maybe it was getting over an addiction. And you realized that you did need a higher power. And that higher power was Jesus. And Jesus got you through that difficult time. And continues to do so. Think about Jesus as life giver for you. And think about how it is that you can express that for other people. And that's what leads us to the last part of this. This idea of partnership. Jesus called them to participate, to take away the stone. It says, so they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up upwards and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd that is standing here. Jesus was trying to teach them something. Like the magician, he was bringing them into what he was doing. And this whole miracle that was taking place, they were going to be a part of it. Jesus would later say to the disciples, go into this world. Just go from Jerusalem, go out to every place, even to the uttermost parts of the world. And teach people what I've been saying and share this with them. And go on this great commission out into the world. Partner with me. And it's a crazy notion that God would depend on those disciples. I mean, you've got all kinds of interesting characters that are in this group. And he calls them to partner with him in the world. And so Jesus calls us and asks us to partner as well. How will you do that? Think about the ways our church does this. We have some things that are set up. We have like the Meals on Wheels team, and we have uh, a team that relates to the adult uh, daycare center. We have a lighthouse team that does help children learn to read and to do their homework and gives them encouragement. These being 600 or so of the most at risk youth in Shreveport, Bozier we do we help about forty to forty five right here in the building. Uh, it comes from doing things like uh, transportation ministry, picking people up and uh, getting them to where they need to go it It comes from uh, the ways that we are active at the Veterans Center and trying to help, and especially in light of this past week with someone who appears to have uh, even though undiagnosed, PTSD and, and the real challenges that were there and the things going on in his mind. And you just think about the help that he could have gotten. And so we think about our veterans here, how we can be encouraging and loving and, and thankful for them and to be able to display to them this idea of resurrection The same thing goes for all the groups that we do here, the chronically ill or Alcoholics Anonymous. You may not even know. We have two groups that meet here during the week, one very large men's group and another a smaller group. But they hear about um, how it is that you keep going, how you move forward. We are called to do that as well. And I want to invite you to think about that in this next week. How can you help take the stone away? Don't judge the people that you see behind the stones and in the tomb. Don't look at people and say, just as good as dead, or that person means nothing to me, or there's nothing I can do, or, wow, that would be impossible. But to look there at their tomb and to hear the words of Jesus, take away the stone. I brought some stones with me today, and I want to invite you... Uh, during communion, as you come up, if you'll take one of these, if you have a, a sharpie, uh, write, write the name of one way that you can help remove a stone this next week. Maybe it is to join a team, or maybe it is to become a part of this church, or maybe it is to uh, volunteer your time with our Thursday night meal, or with our uh, men's gear closet, or just any of the 50 or so ways that we help in this community. Write that down. Take the rock with you and look at it all week and think about it. Let us go to God in prayer.